0: Well, again, good morning to you, and it's good just to be able to have that opportunity to sit and to reflect upon what Christ has done for us. Um, I don't watch the news. I had no idea we were getting snow. Anybody else? Let's move on. We're new series started a couple weeks back called Restore First Corinthians. Uh, and yes, we already know that this is what we are restoring. Just to give you an image, we'll be done with it in a couple of weeks. Uh, we know that then we're auctioning it at, We're going to auction this off for how much? Three million. Three million. There you go. Um, now, whatever it brings in, we, I really do think we should auction this off, give it a mission, something like that, um, help some people out. Um, man, the, the interesting thing about it now is it's getting really tough. And now, I mean, I could take different pieces of it, remove it completely, And this is the hard thing about restoration is that when we want to be restored, it just takes a lot of work. Right? Christ has already provided the life that we need uh, and the freedom to be had. But sometimes restoration in our own life means we have to write letters that we really don't want to write to a friend or to a a loved one. Or we we have to fess up to something that we've done previously in life and we need to go to someone and say, you know what? I did you wrong on this. I just need to say I'm sorry if I'm to reflect Jesus Christ. And some of you maybe have been prideful toward other individuals and then you need to go to them and have a conversation. All these are, you know, it's a restoration. It can be really difficult. It can be really hard. And some of us don't wanna keep t- making the journey. And so we'd rather just stop and, and just be done with it and not fully step into what God has in store for us. But today we're gonna to be challenged by that. Why? Because we're diving into 1 Corinthians, yes, and we're going to finish up the, uh, the first chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 31. 18 through 31. But let me remind you of a couple of things that's taking place in Corinth. In fact, I'm going to tell you three primary struggles. Right? I've been speaking of two, but I'm going to give you three primary struggles that Paul is dealing with with the church in Corinth. Remember in Acts chapter 18, we already know that Paul spends 18 months there. That's a long time for him to spend anywhere. He spends 18 months here, a year and a half. And there he is, and he's coping with one um, rampant moral decay. Everybody say rampant moral decay. rampant moral decay. I mean, it's all over the place. Like they worship sexuality, and it's the same place that we're going today. By the way, when you, when you have any society that falls into rampant moral decay okay, and are living by the idol of sexuality and being able to do and to be whoever you want to be, this has happened numerous times throughout history. In time, every one of their societies ends up falling. You would think we'd learn a lesson. But we don't. Why? Because we're prideful. Everybody say we're prideful. prideful. Only half of you. Um We know that. They had rampant moral decay. The other thing that I would tell you that they had is polytheistic worship. So that was another struggle that they had, polytheistic worship. And we already know that you had over a thousand prostitutes that would come down um, from Aphrodite's in this, this temple that they had up in the mountains and the hillside, and all these prostitutes would come down every night, all kinds of just horrific uh, sexual indulgences. And then you had at least 26, 27 idols or temples that we've already that they've already known about to other different types of gods. Everybody got to have their own God. So one of the struggles was, yes, the rampant moral decay, but the other thing is poly- polytheistic worship. Because for someone to step in and go, no, 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 there's only one God made no sense to them. They had multiple gods because that served them well. They got to do whatever they wanted. We want, God, we want a God, Aphrodite, to, 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 to honor our desire for sex and all types of immorality. We're going to have that kind of God. We want a God to better raise more food. We're going to go get that God. We want a God for water. We're going to go get that God. We want a God, whatever it is, it didn't matter. And so he dealt with the polytheistic um, mentality and mindset that there are all these different gods and that you would just make up gods according to whatever you wanted. So they dealt with that as well. So rampant moral decay, polytheistic uh, worship, and then I would say inward division. We, We did address that last week. Even the people of the church were being influenced because these are a bunch of, there were some strong believers in Corinth, but they were young, they were immature in many regards, they were coming to know Christ, and they were struggling, and there was a lot of inward division. He tells us very, uh, very directly in 1 Corinthians 10, 1, 10 through 17, he says, Guys, I have a major concern about you. Remember this from last week? Yes? Please say yes. yes. Okay, good. Um, He's like, guys, I'm going to put it as, as directly and as in urgently as I can. You better start getting along with each other. Now, here's the problem with this. You're going to hear this today as well. At least this is a basis for one of the themes from which Paul is writing, I believe, is if there's so much inward division, if there's inward bickering, if there's inward quarreling within the body of Christ, there's no way you're giving the needed attention to the people who don't know Christ. If you're new here, popular saying we have is, do you desire to be right or righteous? And so many people today desire to, be, they desire to be right rather than righteous. We need more people who want to be righteous. We need people in the church going, you know what? We believe in Jesus Christ. And because of the power of Christ, the power of the cross, the resurrection and what it means for us, we're going to set aside some different preferences and opinions that we have so that we can step into a community and saturate it with the Holy Spirit, with the gospel of Jesus Christ for freedom for everybody to profess Jesus as Lord. That's what we really are wanting, right? Isn't that what we desire? Anybody desire everybody in West Michigan to know Jesus? Yes? Well, then sometimes you have to set aside some differing opinions in order to come together to be united, to share the gospel. And so we spend all of our time and all of our energy saying, well, yeah, but I kind of believe that this could mean this. And then somebody said, well, I believe it can mean this. And I go, that's not something you die for. And we spend all of our time figuring that out rather than telling our neighbor that they are lost and they need to know the power of the resurrection. That's rooted in pride. And so now we have this amazing passage here that he is, in verse 17, by the way, I concluded with that last week. Verse 17 just tethers it all together beautifully, right? He, he's. He's making this shift in his writing. He's like, you better get along. You got all this quarreling. You got this inward division. I know that you guys have polytheistic worship, and I know there's rampant moral decay, but you guys need to start getting along with each other. And and then verse 17, he goes, listen, you need to know, it's this beautiful tie. He's like, man, Christ didn't send me just to baptize. He he called me to preach the gospel. I don't have to have words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What you need to know is, he says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That is such a significant saying. Because when we dive into this sec- next section, here's what you must be reminded of. The cross, nobody in the first century, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter if you're a Roman, doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, nobody would have put a cross on a necklace and worn it around their neck. Nobody. The cross was the most offensive symbol that there was. So much so in Rome that nobody would have been crucified, even the person who committed a lot of just egregious acts in their life. They would not have been put on a cross because to Rome, that would have been a poor reflection of them because it was such a, 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 a despicable act. That's why Paul, was he crucified? No, he was a Roman citizen. Now, they chopped his head off, but to them, they beheaded him. But to them, that was being merciful Because they would never put a Roman citizen on a cross because it was such an insult to even Rome. So the cross, it's speaking about the cross. So remember, as they're reading these words, they're going cross to the Greek, right? Corinth is in Greece, modern day Greece. And so here they are to all of these. You got Greek philosophers to everybody. The cross would have been incredibly offensive. So he says, listen. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then he jumps into the word here, which is going to be very, very powerful. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? <clears throat> here we go. You ready to chime in? Listen, you can do real, Here's the good news. You can do really poorly and do better than the last service. So... Um, Every week, there are those moments I go, why did I say that? Why, why did I say that? Um, for the word of the cross is... Folly. Now, right there, the word of the cross, there it is again. So he just said it in verse 17. Now he says it again in verse 18. Remember the cross. They, as soon as they go to the cross, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, that is folly. That's what folly is. It's foolishness. It's ridiculousness. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are... But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleads God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Read that with me if you would. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach crucified. But we preach crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and a folly, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and and Redemption. so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord this is the word of God you may be seated For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. For the word of the cross, which is already offensive and horrific, is foolishness, is ridiculousness, is, is folly to those who are perishing. And remember, they already had different groups of people. Remember, he already acknowledged four different groups. Like some of you follow Cephas, some of you follow Apollo, some of you follow Paul, some of you follow Christ. Like, no, that. I didn't baptize any of you uh, in terms of a couple of you, but it's not about that. I, didn't, I wasn't the one crucified. It was Jesus that was crucified. He said, no, no quit, quit with all the groups. Quit with all this inward stuff. You need to start focusing on the cross of Christ. And so here he just acknowledges very quickly, for the word of the cross is folly, folly. To those who are perishing, some people do not have ears. This is found continually throughout the Gospel of Matthew. They simply don't have ears to hear. Primary thing um, that closes the ears of the person, the heart of the person, right? Self. Corinth, modern day Greece, we have, I mean, Greek philosophers. That's what we know. I mean, philosophy means lovers of wisdom. That's that's literally the definition, the meaning of it. Uh, A loving of what we can obtain and know for ourselves. And he's like, some of you are so consumed with self, you don't hear, you don't get, they don't have a heart to absorb. They're perishing now as a result. So here he's writing to to make sure they understand that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing because they're so absorbed with self. He will get into that. Uh, A good way to think about it is the the difference between biblical wisdom and worldly knowledge. Biblical wisdom, worldly knowledge. We'll get into that in a second because he's making sure that they understand this. Wisdom is a theme. It's used over 10 times here in this passage. Wisdom or wise, right? Wisdom or wise, wisdom or wise, over and over again. Verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise, right? Has not God made the foolish, the wisdom of the world? First sense in verse 21, in the wisdom of God. The world did not know God through wisdom again. I get just over and over and over again. We already know in the first 10 verses, Jesus is used 11 times. So it's all about about Jesus, all about Jesus, all about Jesus, all about Jesus. That's the only place that you can find life. And you better have some biblical wisdom because otherwise you might only be uh, trying to achieve worldly knowledge and that can lead you astray. It can close your ears to truth. That's what he's writing about. He jumps in and he says, Listen, I'm gonna, um, it is for it is r- written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You think you're all brilliant and smart and it ain't going to work out well for you. And the, discernment, the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Remember, he's writing this to the people that is modern day Greece who are so full of themselves. Because they believe that they could just figure it all out for themselves. I'm going to give you a definition of, of biblical wisdom. It's going to be very short. I've simplified it as much as I possibly can. Biblical wisdom is, write this one down, the skill, the, the skill of living fully for the purposes of God. The skill of living fully for the purposes of God. The skill of living fully for the purposes of God. The skill of living fully for the purposes of God. That's biblical wisdom. I'm going to keep saying it so that some of you can continue writing and so some of you can start writing. Because if you don't care about having biblical wisdom, we have a, we have a concern anyway. The skill of living fully for the purposes of God. The skill of living fully for the purposes of God. Let's say that together. The skill of living fully for the purposes of God. That's biblical wisdom. It's not simply making a good decision that prospers self. Sometimes we equate being wise, being knowledgeable to making good decisions that prosper the individual. Yet biblical wisdom is about being able to make decisions that prosper us in terms of being obedient to the purposes and the will of God. And here are the Greeks priding themselves in wisdom. They boasted of it. It's going to speak a lot about boasting, too, verse 27, verse 30, and 31. You're going to see that in a second. Proverbs 4, 5 is a great passage right now. It says, get wisdom, get insight. <laughs> you got that in Proverbs 4, 5. Proverbs three thirteen speaks about it as well. Proverbs 22 speaks about it. It's, Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature. It certainly has a lot to say about wisdom and how we are to search for it and seek it out. This is where they struggle. Here's, here's a great graph for you, and this is how you can even think about um, the difference between godly wisdom and worldly knowledge. Okay, So I'll come over here, and um, I'll read this stuff. I'll point to that, and then you can read that, all right? So godly wisdom is, promotes Christ. Worldly knowledge promotes Christ. Godly wisdom advances God. Worldly knowledge advances Godly wisdom is about transformation. Worldly knowledge is about Do you disagree with that one? Because you said it real solved. You need to get here, here's a, information is not wrong, but information is the lead to transformation. When information only feeds self, it then ends up feeding ego. Some of us just want to obtain more and more information because that feeds our ego, our insecurities, right? Pride and insecurity, same things. Twin sisters, very similar. And so we, we allow the wrong things to be fed. Godly wisdom is about righteousness. It's about unity. It's about being generous. It's about world-informed. Worldly knowledge is about anything goes. It's about my ego. It's about greed. It's about being culture-informed. What is informing you, your heart, your mind, your thinking, more than anything else? And for many today, it's the culture rather than the world. Or, or rather, it's the culture rather than being informed by the word. And so we get confused sometimes. We're like, wait a second. What's really happening here? It reminds me of Philippians 3, 7. But whatever were gains to me, whatever, this is, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. The very thing that I wanted to advance me and now I recognize isn't what it's really about and I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. So th- this is a really, really important passage for us. Because there's so many similarities in what was happening there and what's happening today here. We all think we're wise, verse 20. We all think that we're the scribes and we can debate anything. And man, we're the ones who figured everything out already. And yet we have have parents who can't even look at their kids and go, you know what? I got that wrong. I'm sorry. Because of the pride in our life. We, we have friends who can't look at the other one and say, you know what? I haven't been a good influence on you, honestly. And, the, and some of the counsel that I've given you, some of the things that I've told you, it's been all about what I think I would want rather than what Christ would desire. I'm sorry. I haven't been a good brother or a good sister in Christ. We can't even say these things to each other often. And so, yeah, are we full of ourselves? We are. Wisdom It's a simple way to think about it. Wisdom, knowledge of the world is based on self. The wisdom of God is relying upon the cross of Christ. It's the simplest way to think about it. And so 20 and 21 helps us know the difference and it helps us to kind of just draw attention to, hey, maybe this is us. For since in the wisdom of God, verse 21, the world did not know God through wisdom it pleased God through the foolishness, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jew, verse 22, very short, very important. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. One of the things that was taking place and that we have to give attention to um, The Jews expected a conquering Messiah. That's why it says Jews demand signs. They expected a conquering Messiah. Now, Messiah is to come twice. He's already come once. Right? The first, he came to conquer sin, the very thing that separates us from God. The second time, when Jesus returns, he will rule and reign. But they expected a conquering Messiah to come in, whether it be white stallion, right? Sword in hand to defeat Rome. That was their struggle. Remember to everybody, the cross was an offense. So for to say, hey, their monotheism, one God, and this God allowed his son to, to get on a cross that through humility, he would humble himself, become obedient to death, even death on a cross, blew their mind. They couldn't grasp that. They were wanting not the guy who says, I have come to to serve not to be served. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the living water. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way and the truth and the life. They They weren't expecting that type of Savior. And so they're confused and they're perplexed because they wanted that guy to come in. That's the Jews. That's why they wanted that sign. That's why they struggled so much with Jesus. Then you have the Greeks. This same verse, it tells us, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. And the Greeks were wanting to make, they wanted to be able to give explanation for everything for themselves. That's what they constantly did. The Greeks are people who are arrogant and they thought that they could give explanation for everything that they wanted to do, no matter what it was. And, And think of it like this. Think about Greek gods, what were they? Who were they? Go back to it. Think about all the uh, the different people that you have there. They are all really powerful, and they all acted on whatever they wanted, and they got whatever they wanted. All Greek gods. That's what took place. That's what they're expecting, and so here comes this person by the name of Jesus Christ on a cross. What? It's letting you know. I know that there's hardship and there's, or at least confusion. Because the Jews want a certain sign. They want the stallion guy. The Greeks, now I get it, they want some guy to come and just start beating up everybody too and to act out in honestly really horrendous ways and to show how powerful they are and look at me, I can do whatever I want and yet you have somebody who came as a servant. I've come to be served. Some, may be, some of you might be struggling whether you're online, whether you're in this place, doesn't matter. Some of you might be struggling because you expect a different type of savior. You you want the salvation that comes from Christ, but you you might desire to be one of those gods that are different. You want the salvation that comes from Christ, but you really want to be able to act out on your own emotions, your own feelings, your own sexual desires, whatever that may look like. So he's telling them, hey, listen, I get it. But we, verse 23, next verse, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. And yeah, it's a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles because of what I just said. But he's not conquering all the people like we thought the Jews would think. And the Greeks would be like, wait a second, this is foolishness. Doesn't he need to come in with all of his might and to get whatever he wants? Just take what you desire. This is, it paints an amazing portrait for us to be able to see the significance and why Christ came as he did. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. To those who are called Jews and Greeks, they are willing to remove those stumbling blocks, the Jews. The Greeks are are willing to admit, you know what, we still can't answer everything. There is an answer in Christ, and they move beyond that. To those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. But the foolishness, the folly of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so a lot of it helps us to discern and to evaluate our posture toward Jesus Christ. Why? Because the cross is power. The cross is where we find our purpose and our hope. And you need to know that we cannot move beyond needing the help and the saving power of the cross. Can't do it. Only the gospel has an explosive power to change a life. And the Jews were starting to figure this out. The Greeks were starting to figure this out. And they were forming this church, and yet yeah, they struggled, and they were starting to have all this conflict because they weren't getting along because they were still arrogant and proud, but they were stepping into a knowledge that there was something more and there was something greater, and that was Christ on the cross. One of the struggles I believe that they had is they allowed the confusion of polytheistic culture and everything else to confuse the message of the gospel. We must not confuse the message of the gospel. So here comes Jesus onto the scene and Paul is writing to them because they're struggling. And they didn't recognize that God chose them in spite of who they were, rather than because of who they were it says first, consider your calling, brothers, guys, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were noble birth. right Why is that because Listen, honestly, there are some people of incredible stature and incredible power that have come to know Jesus Christ. But it seems to be more rare than it is the norm. Why is it? Because there's an automatic inherent arrogance that comes when thinking much of yourself. He's letting them know, not many of you, Were wise according to the world. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You see, one of the things that the Greeks believed is that if you relied on anyone other than yourself outside of a God that you create, that's foolishness. You can't, why would you do that? Even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus and became to us wisdom from God, righteousness. We are to become righteousness, uh, sanctified, and redeemed. It's the Greek, it's the Jew who recognize that they are sinful. That they were gravitating toward their own sinful desires, and they go no more. They actually were transformed by God. So people who are, actually had the ears to hear. Biggest issue, um, one of the greatest issues that we find in Corinth is their pride. Here it tells us, says verse twenty nine, said so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now I don't have time to read through all of it right now, um, but I would encourage you. James chapter 3, 13 through 18. Go to that later on. James 3, 13 through 18. And it's going to speak to something very similar. I want to give you the, uh, another way to think about this entire passage. It's letting us know, hey, listen, I know that there are some Jews, Greeks, Romans, it doesn't matter, okay? There are some, and you might be sitting here, who think that the cross of Christ is foolishness, because why would you ever rely on something other than yourself? And why would you certainly rely on anything that would say that you might be wrong in some things that you've been doing? And you don't understand that the blood of Jesus Christ doesn't simply come to hide what you've previously done. He annihilates the sin in your life. There's a joy and a freedom and a life that comes from that, friends. It doesn't matter what you've done where you are. That's why all are invited into this place. Those are not closed and locked doors. Those doors are always open for all people to come encounter our God. And so some of you are going, that's foolishness. I don't get it. Why don't I just rely on the wisdom of the world, right? My own knowledge and what I can do and what I can achieve. Why don't I just rely on that? And you struggle to go, you know, I need to rely on something other than that. I need to rely on the one that says, I've come to serve you and I will die on a cross for you. I will humble myself, become obedient to death for you. And we struggle with that because of our own insecurities. Can you just admit the fact that you need a God and God's already sent his son? And so at the end, he's like, this is what you need to get. You have a calling brothers. And here's one of the ways you're going to know if you've really given your heart to Christ, do you boast in the Lord? if somebody comes up to you and I already told the first, this is what I'm going to do with my kids today. I'm going to go to them and say, what are you most like? If somebody comes and says, man, what are you most proud of in life? What are the three things that you say? Don't lie about it. Don't try to just sound good. What are you most proud of? That's one way to think about boasting. When you say, I will boast in the Lord. Will you boast in the Lord? Boasting is, what are you most proud of? what do you want to make sure everybody knows about you is it the possessions that you have or where do you work or the title that you have or is it man who you know because you are a child of God I will boast in the Lord I will boast in the Lord I will boast in the Lord I will boast in the Lord. I will boast in the Lord because I know my need of a Savior and the Savior Messiah has come through Jesus Christ. Was it on a cross? It was. And I'm grateful for his humility because now I am to live in the same accord. I will boast in the Lord. I will boast in the Lord. What are you most proud of? You see, what you're most proud of was also determining what you're working toward. What you want people to know most about you will determine what you work toward. But I will boast in the Lord. I will boast in the Lord. Are you boasting in the Lord? Everybody say, I will boast in the Lord. I will boast in the Lord. God, we come before you. we give thanks that we get to boast in the Lord. God, we give thanks that we get to find our identity in you, that we don't have to rely on our own knowledge, what we can come up with, but that we have hope through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for us. God, I want to tell everybody about it. I want to make sure everybody knows that I boast in the Lord because I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. May we we rejoice and be glad that we are your children. May we find wisdom in knowing you. In Christ's name, amen.